Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by my colleague, Chris Williams, and we're going to be going through some of the big stories of the legal week that was, as usual. But first, we always begin, you know, by not jumping into anything uh, too quickly, we by having a little bit of our uh, small talk. With all the fan- necessary fanfare, how you doing over there? Doing pretty good, pretty good. Good, enjoying the weather. Oh yeah, how warm is it there? Honestly, it's like I feel like it's like uh, like eighty or so, eighty ninety. Okay, yeah, it's warmer yeah, than even, it is here. Yeah, with with the sun down. Oh yeah, well yeah, that's that's what it's like to be closer to the tropics or in the tropics. Even are you? I, I'm I'm not good with my geography off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I default law rather than geography yeah. as well. Fair, fair, fair. So yeah, so there was not much happening. Yeah, small talk wise, from my perspective, uh, I guess I will flag this. This is not one of the stories we're talking about this week, but it's worth just flagging to let people know that we did see it. That Alan and Overy, who has tried and failed to merge with an American firm before. Uh, not failed. It's not. I don't make it sound like a failure, but like they tried and it's not worked out in the past. Uh, Sherman and Sterling, who has been trying and failing to merge with a international firm for a while, uh, well, it works out. Uh, they they're gonna get together. You know, these crazy kids are gonna make a make a go of it. So, A and O A and O Sherman, uh, we wish them all the best uh, in their future endeavors. I don't know where they're registered, but send them a little wedding gift. But that's that's about all that I have on the breaking news front. This just kind of happened as we were getting set to record, so we don't really have any deep thoughts about it, but wanted to make sure, since you're going to hear this a little later, that it doesn't sound like we completely missed a major merger or anything like that. Uh, well, with that said, is it, unless there's anything else we want to talk about that is small, we can start big talk. Yeah, I feel like medium to larger talk would be appropriate. All right, so, so we're going to transition to medium talk. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, so World War Three? No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so far, well, I, who knows by the time they listen to this. Uh, but for now, let's. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of... Um, this is a story that I wrote last week that generated a lot of conversation uh, that, uh, that made me think it might be worth a deeper dive. So Kamala Harris is, once again, now the, some of these comments aren't even comments she recently made, but they are being floated around on the social medias and uh, the mainstream medias, which usually is a sign that Someone in a politician's office is floating a test balloon about various kinds of rhetoric to see how it might play with the public. And there was a there was a little burst of folks who were passing it around virally about how Harris has started saying some stuff about public defenders and the criminal justice system. And it was getting a lot of good play. If she talked 
tough on crime like this, we would have voted for her in the primaries last time. A lot of that sort of rhetoric going around. Uh, and it's it struck me from a working at a legal blog as really problematic that she is once again kind of leaning into and circulating this sort of rhetoric and allowing this conversation to be how she is defined. The way in which this went down was she kind of, she put out this discussion that as a prosecutor, she would go after all of these people in predominantly black neighborhoods. And the she said public defenders, she specifically decides to bash public defenders, would put black people on the jury because they thought those jurors would be sympathetic. But I knew better because I knew that black jurors don't want crime in their neighborhood. And the public defender would always be shocked that they would end up losing, which I assume, I mean, well, I guess, first of all, let's, let's take that uh, apart. So Chris, you know, we talked about this a little bit. So what's your take here, at least? What, like, there's a lot to break down. Well, before we even get to this, I've just always yeah. been suspicious of Kamala's prosecutorial decisions once it got out that like she was smoking weed herself and still putting <laughs> people behind bars for it. I've just been gen just generally suspicious of her choices. Um, then again, you know, that's, that's what you get when you have a top cop as the vice president. There's a lot here. Uh, I would say let's the one that I feel the most troubled by is I, I think that. I feel as though, and of course, prosecutors often, you know, you get deeply involved in that job, you take on that mentality, but I feel like she knows better, uh, and I feel mm -hmm. like she's being deliberately obtuse here. She, mm -hmm. she knows that that's not why public defenders prefer having black jurors in cases with black defendants, because mm -hmm. it's not as though a criminal trial involves the defense attorney turning to the jury and saying, I mean, my client. Come on. Did, yeah. Come, yeah on. Oh, come on. I mean, my client did it, but you, you don't care about that, right? Like that, that's absurd. No one does that. That's not at all what a criminal trial is about. And she knows that. What is a criminal trial about? Criminal trial is about that public defender is going to say, yeah, this is a very serious crime, and my guy didn't do it. My guy was picked up by cops who didn't care enough to investigate and find out who really did it. He's been railroaded through the system. He's been prosecuted by an overzealous prosecutor who doesn't have any interest in getting to the bottom to this, just with closing, closing her stats as quickly as possible. That's that's what a defense is. And the argument is that more so than white suburban jurors, it's marginally more possible that a black juror will understand that that could happen. Well, yeah. my, my thing with my thing with Kamala and for me, when it's really stuck out back when there was uh, like the presidential debates going on, he's really good with optics. Like I remember mm. there was a point where somebody asked basically uh, what would happen if Donald Trump doesn't respect the uh, results of the election. And I think her response was like a, like a deadpan. Well, we'll see what happens rather than being like, that's treason or something <laughs> or like the rule of law will kick in. Like, I think that, I think that she understands that there are social consequences that can be, you know, 
leveraged. And I think this is one of those things where, at least in the public imaginary, I feel like there's an assumption that black people are always biased. They can't see race neutrally, you know, in a way that is assumed that white folks can like, you know, choose to not see race. And I don't know, maybe this made more sense with whatever audience she was trying to appeal to as far as her, you know, get up and do it in this or like ability to win hard cases. Maybe it felt like a, I don't even have to lean on the black jurors to get the job done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I actually, let's focus on that because that was one thing I got a lot of pushback from on social media about this. And some folks were saying, you know, it is a long held racial stereotype that black people don't care about crime, which is theoretically what is what Harris is trying to say she doesn't agree with. But my take was, I think she's almost saying the opposite. It's very, it's that very subtle, like, oh, you know, everybody's crazy except you people, um, where, where she's trying to make the statement by implying that she's talking to the exception, not the rule. Uh, and given that we actually have statistical data showing that black and African-American jurors tend to acquit slightly more, of, but statistically significantly more than white jurors, because, you know, largely because they ask questions about the you know, about the defense and how it's being structured and and do see the possibility that somebody might be railroaded by a system. Given that that actually happens, when she says, oh, I know that's not how things work, it's a, it's a rhetorical device that actually reinforces that trope by claiming the opposite of it is, is her own experience, was my, yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like sometimes you look at a thing and this in my and your gut reaction is, you know, the person saying this ought to be smart enough to where they know that this isn't anchored in truth. What are the benefits of them saying this thing as the thing that's being deployed? And I'm like, eh, well, I don't know. Yeah. She's trying to reach out to voters that wouldn't necessarily. I think she's trying to I think she's trying to reach into the tough on crime crowd and, yeah. you know, trying to trying to middle roll it. I don't I don't even think this is anything about what's happening in front of us. What gets me about that is. The tough on crime crowd, like there are ways to sell yourself as a prosecutor right now. Like you could you could sell yourself by, you know, I busted child molesters. I busted big companies who were poisoning people. Uh, I took guns off the street. These are ways in which a prosecutor could really juice their their role vis-a-vis the electorate. And, And she seems historically to have been uninterested in those angles of the job of prosecutor and more interested in the ones that don't necessarily resonate with the voters that she has any chance of getting. Hey man, I'm not saying it's a good move. I'm just saying it looks yeah. like a move to me. Oh no, I no, I agree. I agree. But anyway, th- this was an interesting legal question for, I thought, because when you're Talk the ways in which we talk about the criminal justice system kind of matter, especially when it's being framed at the highest levels. And putting aside whether or not her story is true or not, the way in which we have a major government official talking about public defenders as though they are stupid, as though they have these implicit racist assumptions about folks that you shouldn't trust 
as a juror what the defendants, uh, what the defense attorney is trying to say. Those struck me as real tangible ways in which the justice system is getting a little eroded just by the way in which and the rhetoric that we choose. And that I thought more so than anything else about it bugged me as a legal matter, because at a time when the rule of law is a little precarious all over the place, it's not really helpful to be saying, you know, public defenders are crazy people out there who don't know any better and you should ignore them, you know? Yeah. And what do you yeah. know? You're not vice president. You know? uh, yeah. I mean, maybe when you get to that point. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. So the next thing we wanted to talk about, uh, this is actually we this is actually a couple of stories. Maybe we need to have a sound effect for this. I don't even know what it would be, but this is kind of our our Ron DeSantis watch uh, <clears throat> because a couple of things came up. Now, we've talked about him in the context of his Disney travails before uh, a new one cropped up. It turns out that he so this is basic. Basic Civ Pro for anybody out there who's, you know, trying to think, scratching their head back to first year of law school. This was a basic civil procedure question. The whole deal with the Disney board where DeSantis passed the rule to change all the board members, the old board uh, signed valid agreements, turning about all of that power back over to Disney. They're now trying to reverse that. The new board filed a lawsuit in state court trying to reverse that. Meanwhile, the DeSantis administration and the Republican supermajority legislature decided to pass a law mooting those contracts, which meant that in the state court where they want to be, because they do not want to be removed to the, to the federal court case that they have, Disney's lawyers just walked in and said, but given that that law exists, you don't have any standing anymore. Like, this case is moot. It's already gone. There's no contract for you to claim as being in injured. It just, it's just wild. Like, I, all they had to do, all they had to do, Chris, was just do nothing. They could have done <laughs> nothing and the board could have sued. And they could have been in state court like they wanted. 
You see, this is why people need to watch Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay. You know, it, it Interesting has, it has direction. World, it has real world consequences. <laughs> have you seen the show? I am aware of it. I have not seen it. Oh, so, you're, missing right, so, you're missing out. So explain to me, because I'm interested in this, and how does that help you on Cipro? I am I am happy. So okay. for anybody who's who anybody who's watched the show and is more cultured than Joe, listen, fair, I'm gonna make fair. my case. There's a scene where King Boomy is locked up in a in a steel uh cage. And he knows that come nightfall, his enemies are gonna be very strong. And the day after, they become normal strength. So his allies are like, what do we do? What do we do? He's like, just wait. Mm. Just wait until the siege is done. And then after that, well, let me clarify. There's a day where there's a night where they're very strong. And then the day they lose their power. He's like, just wait until the siege is done. And in the daytime, Gwen, you literally just have to do nothing. Just wait. (laughs) It's uh, it's, uh, it's called negative Jing. Um, It's a thing with strategy. You figure out sometimes sometimes the best movement is no movement. You know, we're like, what is it? War games. Sometimes the best game is to not play like that sort of thing. Wow, that okay, no, that there's an old reference. Uh total <laughs> I know I know my audience. <laughs> All right, nice, nice, nice. So some old school 80s movie references. All right. So, but yes, no, that that is exactly what I was thinking when I read this was that all they needed to do is not pass a law, and the board could have challenged this. Now, put aside whether or not the board had any hope of winning it, uh they could have been there. And the mere fact that they passed the bill means that the state courts are now largely closed off to them, which is a problem if you, like DeSantis, his lawyers have already argued, believe that the federal court is biased against you. So if your concern is the federal court's a problem, you're the problem. It's you (laughs) to make some Taylor references. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, look, we're we're pulling all the we're pulling out all the stops on pop culture. Okay, I respect it. I don't like it. I respect it. Fair enough. So what else has Ron been up to this week? Uh, He's been having other fights with the Constitution. Yeah, uh, specifically the 14th Amendment. So there's a good one. eh, It's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a little messy, but apparently it's not good enough for DeSantis. So there was Mm. a bill that came to his desk and it was a law basically allows children to be seized from trans parents. Um, again, that's not invisible people, just parents that are trans, you know. Right, right, right. No, I got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Just, yeah. Just to be clear, you know. But yeah, so like it, it says like if the children are subject to or are threatened with being well, subjected to. Well, hold on, to, hold on, hold on. You said just to be clear. So we're, you, you're fine. You are not opaque in any way. That was a triple down. Ah, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right, go. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Anyway, back to abduction. <laughs> so there's a law saying if, uh, the children are subjected to or are threatened with being subjected to, whatever the hell that means, uh, gender-affirming care, like say puberty blockers or hormone replacement therapy, therapy, they can be seized. But like, how do you know if a person is threatened with being subjected to that? Like, do you do you put a, is there a, do you listen to their, do you look at their TikTok uh, formulas and determine like what they're being, anyway. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things where, the biggest thing here is not the vagueness, but the fact that it's just violating the, you know, no, the due process. Well, no, not due process. Well, both, probably. E- I mean, it will also be a problem. The due process, but also. Equal protection, definitely. Equal protect. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Sometimes my mind blanks. There was a similar case, um, and 
uh, court decided that no person should be denied access to medical care just because of their transgender status. And this law spits in the face of that. Well, so so obviously you have an equal protection issue because you're teaching treating treating folks differently based on stuff. Now, what whatever form of scrutiny these courts decide to give it, uh, probably not strict, but whatever. Uh, so you've got that. But I, I mean, I think you raised the due process point, and I think that one's also there because basically anytime you deal with child protective services style seizures, it mm-hmm. strikes me as though that it's real precarious where it sits on the due process bounds, right? Like we have a presumption that people get to parent their kids. So it Speaking requires precari- a lot. Yeah. Speaking of precarity, it's Florida. It's a fucking standard ground state. You think somebody is not going to get shot trying to take somebody's kid? Oh my god, yeah. I mean, like yeah. And and don't worry, the standard ground is kind of arbitrarily applied. It really really yeah, isn't yeah. going to apply when the government's trying to take somebody, but yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah. No, but it's true. Like be, well, because it doesn't matter whether or not it really applies, right? It it matters if people think it does. If they think uh, it because, does. Yeah. Yeah, cuz if I if I think I have the right to shoot somebody, uh, it doesn't and matter. You know if I somebody's up... coming in to seize your yeah. kid. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter if I'm going to yeah. lose on the back end. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel uh, I'm emboldened to take the action on the front yeah. end. Yeah, and I'll like tell it's... you what I I haven't experienced this firsthand, but I get the feeling that trans bullets feel the same as cis ones. I think, like... yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I yeah. There's I was trying to see if there was another way to make a. <laughs> opaque transparent joke there but i'm not were you having a were you having gender trouble no it was no it was more um trying to quadruple down on that on that distinction no that was it that was a that was a judith butler reference oh yeah oh oh yes 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 well done yeah. My my brain is definitely not switched on to the recognizing Judith Butler Butler references while I'm doing this show. So you got me. All right. Yeah. So it's it's another trip to federal court inevitably for this administration. Don't worry. The uh, this the taxpayers of the state will be picking up the tab again. Okay. So the Supreme Court is a place. Never heard of it. Yeah. And it's it's a place where we usually talk about how collegial thing or historically we talk about how collegial it is. Uh, lately, we have not been talking about how collegial it is, but at least we've been talking about the collegiality divide being along somewhat political lines. Uh, that's not the case this week. Yeah, no, we had a completely non partisan question about intellectual property and it was a 7-2 decision and Kagan wrote for the dissent and got a little salty towards Justice Sotomayor. It was well seasoned. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll just I'll just read a bit of this footnote. No, it's fair to say that Justice Sotomayor did pointedly re- refer to things in the dissent as part of the majority opinion and would say, you know, the dissent makes this argument, but doesn't really explain why this would be true, which is why we in the majority decide X, Y, Z. So there's a bit of a call out happening, but it's a call out happening to address issues in the dissent. Uh, It's not really personal. It doesn't, at least it didn't seem to me. That brings us to Justice Kagan, who opens her opinion with a footnote. Because you know, you know things are off the rails when it's in a footnote, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the footnote is is 
is a powerful way to earmark that you're gonna you're gonna write a diss track. Uh, so it begins. One preliminary note before beginning in earnest, as readers are by now aware, the majority opinion is trained on this dissent in a way majority opinions seldom are. Maybe that makes the majority opinion self-refuting. After all, a dissent with no theory and no reason is not usually thought to merit pages of commentary and fistfuls of comeback footnotes. In any event, I'll not attempt to rebut point for point the majority's varied accusations. Instead, I'll mainly rest on my original submission. I'll just make two suggestions about reading what follows. First, when you see that my description of a precedent differs from the majority's, go take a look at the decision. Second, when you come across an argument that you recall the majority took issue with, go back to its response and ask yourself about the ratio of reasoning to ipsy-dixit. With those two recommendations, I'll take my chances on the reader's good judgment. And for those not as fluent in Latin, ipsy dixit is un, like an unproven statement. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but which is yeah. completely different from Dixie Cups. It it sort of, uh, but yes. I mean, I, I'm wondering, is it? I mean, I, mean, I don't know. So they're really cups. Anyway, point is, right now uh, I shouldn't do that. They could be a sponsor someday. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, but yeah, no. Uh, this is this is mean and snippy. Uh, for people who have to, you know, work together tomorrow. Uh, I think it's a olive branch to, um, I don't know, like one else, two or three years to not have to read through cases. The professor oh. will be like, hey, 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 look at this. Look, 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 look. <laughs> okay, so you're taking the stance that they're just trying to keep it interesting. It's, it's like a it's like a, res- a wrestling script. You know, you got to have yeah. got to have a little bit of drama in here. Yeah, you know, I mean, their they're legitimacy is on the rocks anyway. I mean, they got to do something to keep people interested. Yeah. Well, let's talk real quick about the substance of this case, because I thought the substance yeah. of the case was interesting, too. So I, I really like oh, that. There was there was one point where I think like like the tension was uh like just because they were like, you're not getting the artistic merit of Andy Warhol. And they're yeah. like, just because it's a famous person doesn't mean that they get to do that. And I'm reading yeah. it and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of I, I kind of get it because when I cause, did you see the picture? Yeah. Yeah. Because when I saw the picture, it wasn't just. This is a picture of French. I mean, this is a picture of this is a picture yeah. of Prince. My thought was, this is an Andy Warhol of Prince. Yeah, and I I do think that there is some there is some wiggle room where like a person's stature or like popularity or the uniqueness of their art that they do in the field changes the nature of the thing. Yeah. So like so there are there are Basquiat's. There would there are, there would be a there would be a a Basquiat. There could be a Basquiat and Warhol. You know, like. Their name is more than just the person that did it. It refers to their stature and art and things that contribute to the aesthetic understanding of it. Yeah. So take a step back. There was a photograph taken by a photographer of Prince years ago. Uh, It was licensed to a magazine for a one-time use. And the magazine said, we're going to bring in an artist to take your photo and make it into kind of an illustration. And they brought in Andy Warhol, and Andy Warhol made it purple, which makes sense. As one should. Yeah, and they used it, and that was fine. Years later, Princess died, and the and another uh, publication looking to put this picture back up and reaches out to the Andy Warhol Foundation, and Andy Warhol Foundation's like, you know, he actually did a bunch of these. He, like, ended up 
making them all different colors. And they ended up using the orange one. And the original photographer is like, what, what the hell, man? Like, I, I took this picture. I licensed it to be turned into an art piece once. You don't get to profit off my picture anymore. And, you know, the, the, the fair use argument is, hey, this is transformative. This is now a Warhol, which Warhol's whole thing is mm-hmm. this kind of pop art work where that yeah. makes sense. And, and like you said, you look at it and you can say, oh, well, Warhol must have done this, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is, at a certain point, how much does that become? He's one of the most famous people in the world, so he throws a prototype of an Instagram filter on somebody else's photo and sells it as his. Mm. Is that is that really fair and transformative? And I don't necessarily think the majority opinion is the best way of describing where the line is in fair use, but I kind of mm. sympathize with Sotomayor that the the dissent basically has no line there's no, the dissent's mm-hmm. version of things more or less boils down to look if somebody who says they're an artist ever touches it then it becomes their work and that seems like that would be a real slippery slope real fast you know yeah. it, it was an interesting case yeah i i do think that you know there are there are a couple of people that consider themselves artists that should be working for Dixie Cup. I don't know if they should be the <laughs> okay. ones that get the right to be able to copy and reproduce however their heart sees fit. But there, there's a thing that happens in art, man. Like there's this um, one of my favorite paintings. It's a, uh, it's a, it's feel, I feel like it's a transformative work. I think it's by Francis Bacon. It's like Study Astor Velasquez. I think it's a, I think it's a rendition of this portrait of Pope Innocent and the way he did it, it was like, had like this ghastly ephemeral, like you ever see a, you ever see like in the Harry Potter movies and like a Dementor is sucking the soul out of somebody. Yeah. Have that kind of like that shadowy wispiness to it. And it's it's on that. And it's it's a beautiful thing. It's a, and you look at it, it's like, I know what this is from, but this is different. Or like, there Mm -hmm. are some, there are some musical samples where I'm like, I know that this is from, um, Okay. Tom, okay. Tom Tom Club. You know what it is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's, there, not, let's not have you sing if possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not the artist doing the transformation, but you get it. There no are some kidding. musical samples. There are some <laughs> musical samples where you hear them. You're like, how did you do this? Like, when, D, when Jay Dilla flipped um, Erica Badu's Didn't You Know, like, made that. That was phenomenal. Like, there are just some works of artistry, and it's hard to deny them, but it's like, yeah, this. Yeah, I see what you did with the source materials, but this is something different. Right. And, you know, but even even especially in music, when you do that, when you take somebody's work and transform it, you know, you, you end up getting a credit usually on that on that mm-hmm. piece. And that's that's the thing that's not happening here, which is potentially sure. problematic. Uh, but it's true. And I know that because I was going to make some sampling jokes in my Mm. article on this and i then realized oh that might not be the best because it might be a slightly different situation Uh, but although probably a different situation because there's a much more robust rights infrastructure yeah Yeah, which then, then there is in art which is you know 
mostly a money laundering scheme for people. But that's neither here nor there. All right. Also, Tom Tom Club, yeah. Genius of Love. That's the song. I did a bad nice. job of singing. So hey, if, you know, it, if it made anyone else wonder, what the hell is that? You know what it is. Perfect. All right. Hey, I think that's everything. So we are going to chat with you later. You should be listening to this show, which you are, but you should be listening to it all the time. A thing that would be easier if you subscribed to it and gave it reviews, stars, write something. It all helps. You should listen to I'm the guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable, talking about some legal tech. You should listen to the other shows on the Legal Talk Network. You should be reading Above the Law, as always, so you read these and other stories before we chat about them. You should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at Rights for Rent, and Rights is the W, like he's physically writing Rights for Rent. You should follow Above the Law, which is at ATL Blog. I actually have moved... Uh, I've got a Blue Sky account, but I haven't really done much with it yet. But that's Joe Patrice for whatever that's worth. Uh, you should be... What else? What else do I usually do here? Is that everything? No, no. Is that everybody you, you, I thank? You make your plugs. You tell them to come yeah. back next week. And you know we yeah. send them off. Come on back next week. All right. We'll uh, talk to you all later. Peace. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.